This is the Cover 2 Podcast with Don Banks and Nick Stevens. Brady on the deep drop, stands in, fires down the middle for Gronkowski, makes the grab at the 45, spinning away from defenders. He's gone to the 20, to the 10, to the 5, to the end zone. The Cover 2 Podcast on Patriots.com. The play fake and the throw to the end zone for Antonio Brown. Touchdown, Pittsburgh. Nobody covers the NFL like the guys from Cover 2. Eight different receivers have caught a pass from Matt Ryan today. He's looking to throw again. Wide open, Julio Jones has it. And in the end zone, touchdown, Falcons. Now, Don Banks and Nick Stevens. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Cover 2 Podcast with Banks and Stevens. I'm Don Banks, joined by my slightly under-the-weather co-host, Nick Stevens. It was my turn last week. It's your turn this week. You've got small children infecting you with something. You know the motto around here. It's this <laughs> the sign you have to touch on the way in. No days off. That was Kevin Collins coughing in the control room. <laughs> Thank you, Casey. It's how I feel on the inside, but on the outside... I've still got that pre-draft glow. And I know you have described me before as someone who needs to be engaged so as to get mm-hmm. the best out of me, but uh, but I don't think it's going to fer- affect my draft stock. Perhaps due to high intelligence or perhaps due to some other malady. Um, yeah, you know, interesting, interesting little couple days here in the NFL. We had uh, a former head coach, Jim Moore at UCLA, kind of trying to put his – Former quarterback Josh Rosen on the couch on behalf of the NFL. Mm-hmm. I think the more Jim talked, the, the worse he made it for Josh Rosen. Uh, but I, I know Jim Mora. I've covered Jim Mora. He can do that. He can get into a, uh, um, I guess, a verbal no man's land and not be able to fight his way out. But in essence said that his guy needs to be intellectually stimulated or you might lose him because he's a millennial it all sounded a lot worse than I think he intended it. Um, and we're going to talk to um, our friend, friend of the podcast, Dan Orlovsky, the former NFL longtime backup quarterback, um, a little later in the show about that topic because I thought Dan had some interesting points to make about it on Twitter in the last couple of days. Um, so that's one thing, one highlight later in the show. We're going to be joined by a second guest. We're going to have uh, Jim Deopolis, the former um, rule, well, the current rules analyst for ESPN and Monday Night Football, but the former longtime NFL referee and supervisor of officials for the NFL. Jim's been on the show as well, but I think before the um, furor over the newly passed helmet hit rule subsides, I wanted to get his thoughts um, on how he sees the <laughs> weeks and months ahead playing out. How many off-season podcasts, I ask you, come at you with not just one, but two relevant, salient guests that speak to the topics that are driving the narrative and moving the pre-draft needle in the NFL. Cannot be more than 45 or 46 of them. I, Bare, I mean, just in my feet alone. Yeah. But but still, I digress. But this one for sure, though. No, this, this, this sure. is great. Jim Moore's comments. Now, Moore has coached twice at the pro level, right? Correct. Falcons well, a long-time Seahawks. assistant. And then, long-time assistant. Yes. and then Son of a long-time coach. Correct. Multiple assistant jobs, two oh. NFL head coach gigs. Playoffs. Playoffs? <laughs> I wonder how he feels about that, too. Yeah. Like, do they joke at the Mora family table? Just I would like, hope. <laughs> I would hope. Playoffs? My my favorite is still... Supper? I mean, <laughs> so we're, we're having supper? You don't know. You think you do, but you just don't we know. Don't. D- diddly-poo. And, and you never will. 
Anyway. We couldn't do diddly poo offensively. <laughs> it's we, the best. He's got it at his fingertips. Uh, we gave him the friggin' game. He coached at the collegiate level, obviously, was dismissed from UCLA, worked in talk radio as well. I would think, actually, that Jim Moore Jr. should be able to, I don't know, paint a clearer picture or do a little bit less uh, sort of talking his way into a corner, per se, because we've all been there yeah. in a number of varied situations, be they social or professional, where we start saying something and we don't mean our point to come across in any way, shape, or form as critical or, or hurtful. And next thing we know, we've just spewed out so many words that have queered our original point that we just keep going and going. And then we actually end up disparaging somebody we meant to compliment I, in a way. I think he meant to compliment him. I, I, I um, do, too. I don't see this as a criticism I, I, in any I way, don't shape, either. or form. Uh, I think he needed to punt on second down, though. He needed to stop uh, while he was ahead. Um, clearly, when you come out and pick your arch-rival's quarterback and say he should go number one overall, big picture, that just sounds wrong, looks wrong, because coaches are expected to just gush over their guy come draft time and sell him. Sure. The league, um, so anything less than gushing always gets noticed. And when it's a guy who's been around the league as long as Jim Mora to come out and say, "I'd go with Sam Darnold in Cleveland," the reasons may be incredibly valid from that point on. But what gets said from that point on gets drowned out by the he glaring headline of Mora picks arch rival quarterback rather than his own guy. He must know something. He must be trying to send a coded message to the rest of the league, beware of Josh Rosen. And I don't think that's what he was doing. If it was, man, it was really um, <laughs> very subterfuge-like. Sure. Uh, if that's what he was up to, if it was kind of a, um, you know, a back-channel way of, of ripping his own guy, first of all, that's pretty low. And second of all, I don't think he would have gone that route. I don't. I, I think he would have just probably said something kind of milk toast and, and stuck down to the middle. But um, That's a anyway. pretty classless move, though, if he was looking to, t if he was mad at Rosen, if Rosen was a pain in his ass, if he was yeah. a higher maintenance player to deal with during those years. I wonder if in some way, shape, or form that he thinks he maybe never got the best out of Rosen, who obviously looks like a pro-ready prospect. But to me, I read it from a removed fan base perspective. I read it as uh, Cleveland don't take Rosen. Or if you, I read it as if you are a ways away and there's still a lot of work that needs to be done, then your better choice is Darnold because he's probably the more plug and play ready. You can probably insert Sam Darnold into X number of offenses. But I sooner. thought they were saying that Rose, uh, Rosen's the most pro ready right now. That's, that's he's the most accurate quarterback, and he obviously yeah. can grasp a system quicker. I think. If you want to just be able to like grab your quarterback of the future, put him out there and let him be while you concentrate on the other five different house fires in your in your program, a la Cleveland, a la some of, like the Jets, then you're Sam Darnold. Here's your guy. Well, the Where, irony is they've got out they went and got Tyrod Taylor to play this year. Clearly, right. so they don't want to stick their guy out there. No, whoever it is, that's Hugh Jackson's been clear about that. We'll see if that happens, but I don't know. Who knows his motives? You know, maybe it was passive-aggressive. Yeah. I have no idea. Now you're selling me on that bill again. I don't yeah. know, but I'm just saying I, I did not take it as a, a diss. I thought what he was trying to say is this kid's really smart. 
he's um, you, you better go challenge him uh, with your system and with your situation. And I guess he looked at Cleveland's, you know, disastrous track record at that position and said, hmm, doesn't seem like a fit for the guy that I know. Uh, Sam will go in there with blinders on and Rosen won't. Isn't it also the job of a head coach and a quarterback coach or especially an offensive coordinator to maintain a constant, open, fluid line of communication with your quarterback? I mean, just getting a chance to watch, you know, it's an easy grab, but watching Tom versus time, Brady and McDaniels are on the phone with each other all the time. They like they probably communicate the most. Some I, sometimes very colorfully. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of the fun part. Yeah. Sidebar real quick, uh when I had a chance to interview Gotham Chopra outside the Super Bowl and I asked him for a little dirt behind the scenes on Tom versus Time, uh one of the things he said that Brady said to him in the edit was, "Wow, do I really swear that much?" <laughs> And Shopper said, "Oh, you swear much more. This is the cleaned up version of w- of what we actually Absolutely. get." Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but no, that I, I didn't. I, I see this like you've got to challenge him. Oh, gee, you mean I can't just because he's because he's a Jaguar, because he's a Mercedes, uh, because he's an Audi. I can't just because I paid a lot for this car. I don't have to change the oil. Yeah. That I don't have to keep it clean. I don't have to maintain it or you know take it in for a tune up every twenty five thousand miles. It doesn't take care of itself. Yeah. Mora was. Kind of keeping it real. That is true of millennials. I mean, I'm sorry it doesn't fit the stereotype maybe that people want their NFL mm-hmm. quarterbacks to fit into, but you do have to, for some millennials, kind of make sure, you know, that you, that you keep something shiny, a shiny object. Yeah, are you saying that uh, my head coach and offensive coordinator need to be involved in Fortnite Battle Royale? Do they need to be up on the latest games and apps? Maybe not to that extent, but you do have to try, I think, to reach a millennial on his uh, turf once in a while. Sure. As as, as the uh, father of two sons, twenty seven and twenty, you oh, know, yeah. you do have to you do have to play in their world a little bit. All right, before we get to the news of the day, which was really the news of last night, that massive Brandon Cooks trade. Um, let's talk for ninety seconds about our five hundred one Red Sox who. It may be the hardest-to-watch 5-1 and start I've ever seen because they continue, other than one game, to make nothing mm-hmm. come easily. I was going to say, if there is an opening in Boston Sports Radio anytime soon with the kind of knee-jerk, fanatical passion that you show for these Boston Red Sox. That's hard. Uh, you, you call them, quote, I think you texted me last night and said they were, quote, a hard watch. They are a hard watch. Okay. Listen, they still make a lot of mistakes. I think there's still. Some, I, well, I still hear some, Benny Hill theme when they when they get on the base pass. Of course, and that's a problem, and I think that is feral coaching and conditioning that Cora needs to I'm deprogram. St- I'm starting to think it's. Just, it I'm starting to think curse. it's bigger than feral. I'm starting to think How? it's systemic. I don't know. Did they just draft a bunch of guys? They that, think these guys are faster or smarter or savvier on the base pass than they really are. I mean, Devers. Okay, he's on second leadoff double ball back to the pitcher and he takes off. He just doesn't have right. enough experience to know what to do in every situation. However, like the guys thrown out at home, the guys thrown in a second. We we got thrown out for the cycle again last night if you count every put out at first base. We got thrown out at second, third, uh-huh. and home. That's that was a quintessential red side. And then of course, blowing a save with two out nobody on in the bottom of the 11th. 
walk, walk, double, and only save the game with a great relay from Benintendi to Bogey. So I don't know. It, it, they are a tough watch. Their starting pitching has been phenomenal, historic. Okay, you'll love this tweet then. Uh, my friend Jared Carabas is a baseball writer for Barstool Sports. Yeah, Jared, he's great. Uh, last snark, night he writes, snark personified. Oh come on, he's a sharp wit. He's a, well, you know what? He's a millenn- You know, he's just got to get him engaged. I guess. Got to make sure you coach him up. You know, you can't just let him. Uh, he's a great dude. He wrote last night. Uh, I'm not a big romantic, but I just hope that one day I can find someone who loves me as much as the Red Sox love running into outs on the bases. That's true. It is absolutely true. And uh, you know, it's only a week. Maybe maybe they're getting it out of their system, as you say. But mm-hmm. boy, um, Cora's got a Cora has that's what part of the deconditioning and reprogramming. Yeah. They're going to have to right now. He's his. There's only so much he can fix. Superhero that he may be, minus the cape. It's it's a, these mistakes are going to happen. I will say this: How about last Thursday? We all feel like we're trapped in uh, the Great Molasses Flood with the Red Sox bullpen imploding in the six, in the eighth inning, giving up six runs to the most anemic offense yeah. in the American League, and then for the next five days, coming home five F- and finding one. a way to win. I'll give him that. Great and, and- starting pitching, and save for Matt Barnes. You know, peeing down his leg last night. Barnes very, on the road. Very good terrible. relief pitching. Yeah. Usually, the relief pitching is interesting been dynamite. to have Kimbrel, Kimbrel in in a non-safe situation in extra innings on the road. Very interesting. Haven't heard Cora really explain that yet, but um, when we know that's not a comfort zone for him at all. Well, it, not only that, it's just it breaks every rule. Eckersley was going on. You know, he never once in his career went in, went on the road in an, in a. Uh, non-safe situation in extra innings. So um, some curious moves, but, yeah, bottom line, they're 5-1, they're and one, so that's that's good. Uh, they haven't hit yet, and they have no. not learned ben how to run. Ben got his first hit last night? Uh, the night before. Yeah. He was that little dribbler. Okay. But I think right. he got two more last night. He started to look. I was ready to tell him to grow the hair back and lose weight because uh, this, this new body is not working. But speaking of new bodies, look who is hitting, Hanley. Yeah, Hanram loves him some Miami, doesn't he? He does. Yeah. He, he, and he's uh, kind of uh, TB12 now. Yep, yep. All right, well, let's get, get on to the Brandon Cooks deal. Um, another stunner for the L.A. Rams. They say you need stars to make it in the L.A. market. It's a mm-hmm. star-driven um, you know, society out there, and, boy, they are taking that to heart when you look at <laughs> picking up Marcus Peters, Aqib Tlaib, and Dominican Sue, and now Brandon Cooks, all in a very short span. There's go for it, there's Super Bowl or bust, and then there's whatever the L.A. Rams are doing this offseason. Okay, when you play poker and you go all in, you take all of your chips and declare that you are all in. Everyone listening knows that already. Poker does not allow you to then, once you've gone all in, look around the table or actually turn away from the table and ask your buddy who's standing over your shoulder and go, Hey, can I uh, can I borrow another hundred? You got you got five grand. You can spot. You don't get to ask for more money once you've declared your pot to be all in. And yet at the same time, the Rams are finding more in to go all in with. Well, it's their whole draft now. Their draft is gone. They pick in the third round with their first selection. So right. they're sitting out, uh, and they're loaded. Yeah. I don't think this is. I don't necessarily think this is going to be. I saw someone last night say this may reek a little bit of 2011. Eagles. Philadelphia Eagles, Namdi Asamoah, calling them the dream team. This isn't dream team two, Electric Boogaloo. I think this team is legit. Yeah, and I look, 
we still don't know who's going to play linebacker for them. They have like some serious linebacker issues. I guess we're going to have to say in Wade we trust because Wade Phillips is a defensive coordinator. He must have a plan uh, for how to get that particular part of the field covered. But you add now Cooks, a number one receiver, a, sp- a speed threat. Mm-hmm. Um, found out he, he's represented by the same um, f- agent, um, Tolner, Bruce Tolner, I think, uh, as Jared Goff. So that's kind of handy because you're going to try to sign him, obviously, to more than this last final year of his deal. And they're looking at maybe like about a $13, $14 million a that's year the extension. Market which we all thought the Patriots would be hesitant to do. Belichick never pays that kind of money at a premium position, especially at off. Rarely pays, I should say, at a premium position. And uh, Goff and Cooks have worked out before. you got the same agent. Uh, They wanted somebody to fill in the, quote, Sammy Watkins role. They wanted a direct line, vertical, deep threat. And they think he's actually a better fit. And many people that I trust and respect writing, talking football, say this is a good trade for the Rams. I agree. I mean, I think it's a good trade for both teams. I like it for the Pats. But I think it's a better trade for the Pats. I do, too, because I think it sets them up to really start replenishing a number of positions in this draft. See, a lot of people, I I want your read on this, a lot of people immediately said, oh, this sets them up to go after Beckham. Oh, this sets them to go out after a first-round quarterback. Maybe, maybe. I don't think so. I believe this is more likely this is going to help them restock the cupboard. At 23 and 31, now they have two seconds. They have, what, 43 and 63 or something like that. And 95. Bill Belichick right now, Don, is sitting on five of – after the Patriots have had their cupboard raided by uh, other teams in terms of the actual team on the field. And they've had their draft equity taken from by the league and, of course, their own success. They've been victimized by a number of different uh, avenues – shall we say, Belichick has five in a time when they need to stock up the linebacking core. They need help on the offensive I line, maybe some the, defensive line depth. Numbers, that five, you keep five of 95. Under. Thank you. Belichick has five of the first 95 picks. That never happens. This is his chance to restock and reload for the next however many years he's going to be there. Remember 2012? They went out and they got Dante Hightower and... Uh, Sorry, escaping my mind here. Uh, now, now that what position? Uh, the defensive line he plays for Arizona now. Chandler Jones. Chandler Sorry. Jones. So they got Chandler Jones and they got Dante Hightower in the, in the first round, and those became the cornerstones of the the next iteration of the Patriots defense. Now you don't have a great edge rusher that was exposed in the draft. You pick up a guy like Adrian Claiborne, hopefully to shore up the gap, so you can find a new guy. Right. Trey Flowers will be coming up next year. You need to see one more year out of him before if you decide you want to pay him. You lose your starting left tackle. Nate Solder's gone. The Garcia kid last year who had the blood disorder, he's cleared to practice, but he dropped 45 pounds of weight. He needs to get back up to 300 pounds and then some. Maybe Ladrian Waddle steps in for a year as a stopgap. Maybe there's a position battle. Maybe, maybe they draft a first Maybe they tackle. draft a first. There's, they've scouted a bunch. They've also been at the pro days, surprisingly, of a number of wide receivers, too. Texas A&M. Penn well, that State. makes a little more sense right now. But I... Tom Brady threw for 505 yards in the Super Bowl to Gronk, Amendola, Chris Hogan. I don't. I really and running backs. I don't know. I think they could use another another option. Edelman comes back with a. You can say like, well, he's a year older, sure, but that's a year less tread taken off the tires as well. He, 
I think he's going to be fresh as lettuce, you have to borrow a Tom term. Hogan's still got some fastball left in him. Malcolm Mitchell, if the knee holds up, plus we should have read tea leaves when Kenny Britt was surprisingly extended for two years a couple weeks ago. Like, oh, I wonder why Belichick's doing that. That was strange. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if they take a flyer later on a wide receiver, but I can't see him spending top draft. I don't either. I don't think a first They need linebackers. I, I think linebacker or offensive tackle. How much are you buying that they might be? Beckham? The, no, they, no, Beckham. Zero. Zero, zero on Beckham. Zero. On the quarterback, first-round quarterback. Uh, 5%? Yeah. H- how would Belichick – would he's taken quarterbacks in the second and third round traditionally over the last decade plus. But he's never taken one thinking – we need to take one because we might be on a year-to-year at this point right. with 12. But to spend – who's going to fall? Okay, I can't see him when he can see – when he can see I got a starting line outside linebacker, I get a starting edge rusher, a starting cornerback, starting left tackle. I can't see him punting on those prospects, on that potential to just say, I got to give up both of these picks plus one of my seconds to get up and get Ro- – as much as he may love Rosen, no way. Yeah, no I don't. I, I don't buy it either. I, I think it's highly unlikely. But I guess you have to at least you have to kick the tires and and see if there's a scenario that that makes some sense. I mean, well, I mean, when you talk about draft and Belichick, none of it makes any sense. Is this the first time they've had two ones in the Belichick no. era? In 2012, the Chandler Jones and Dante Hightower. They had two. Yep. Okay. I think they went at 12 and 25 or 18 and 25. Okay. Yeah. So. This is a cupboard restocker, just like you let in with. Yeah, yeah, I think it is, and um, it's not sexy at all. I hate to say it. Everyone out there who's waiting for the OBJ, who's waiting for like the super quarterback, no, it's not going to happen. I agree, and I think. Look, they got they got good production out of Cooks. They got their money back. Basically, they upgraded. They were actually able to upgrade after That's getting a full season out that of the kid. That doesn't happen in no. the NFL. Um, so that gives me confidence the Rams think they're going to be able to sign him. Otherwise, you don't make that deal for one year. You shouldn't. You oh, certainly lock, shouldn't. They'll lock him up right away. They, they should be able to sign him. And, I, and I, again, the, the, the agent connection with golf, that is um, a probably give the, gives them a comfort zone. Um, and secondly, you know, I, I liked what he did at times this year. But, again, when he leaves the Super Bowl – they didn't really miss a beat uh, with a concussion in the second quarter when he got clocked by Malcolm Jenkins. Yeah, so. he did. He he uh, so he looked in the Super Bowl, and I I can't imagine this would have any effect on his long term play and value with the Rams. He was a little too geeked up in the Super Bowl. First, yeah. he tries to leap frog Malcolm Jenkins or another like Patrick Robinson, I think it might have been on a play when he could have just used his speed and cut to the outside and gotten a first down, and then catches a ball in space. And instead of just running and continuing the first down, tries to make five different Madden moves and got his bell rung. And that was the end of his Super Bowl, unfortunately. Well, he did have a big AFC title game. Six catches, 100 yards. He owned uh, A.J. Bouye in that game. Got that huge pass interference. Right. Penalty. I was going to say the big P.I., a little questionable, a little hand fighting down the left sideline. Uh, I can't, like, as, as annoying as I'll find... Listening to sports radio this weekend, hearing, yeah, oh, that's a pretty weak five and one, the Red Sox, uh, blah, blah. I find it just as cloying that to hear. That was me. <laughs> By sports radio, I mean my text exchange with Don. I find this f- cooked up narrative of Cooks was a disappointment in New England. No, he was not. 
65 catches, 1,050 yards, seven touchdowns. Okay, maybe that wasn't the 105 ca- 105 catches, 1,200 yards. Yeah, he wasn't spectacular, but he was not a failure. He was good. Yeah. Now, I think what happened is the years prior with Drew Brees, plus the third game of the season, where he took one pass on a slant and then just scorched the Texan secondary, and then, of course, made that amazing catch with 35 seconds left in the end zone. You know, another byproduct of the Cooks trade is I think we can – kind of put to bed all those Gronk trade rumors as well. They're not dealing their tight end. Teams I, across the league are I, readying packages to... You saw that that, yeah. that reported trade on April Fool's Day involving Why Gronk. would anyone fall for that? I don't know. My wife actually said, what's this? And I said, it's April Fool's Day. No. Anyway. Um, but, but just real quick on that point, because you're, Don's 100% right on this. Yeah. If you look at Gronk's numbers and Cook's numbers last year, they were basically identical. They were within hmm. five catches and a fistful of yards and one touchdown of each other. So either yeah. they're both disappointments or correct. they're both successes. They, they were both hurt in the postseason, yeah. correct? Right. And, and the difference, it, it's it's amazing. Arguably, I guess you could say, well, the tight end position and the receiver position have different standards correct. statistically. Correct. But, but, but still, this is a bottom line business. In this the offense. production. Right, in this offense. Right, but at the same time, I subscribe to the idea that Gronk, much like the way they handled and used Amendola, even in Edelman's absence last year, mm-hmm. I think they managed Gronk. Okay. I think they used Gronk when they needed to, vis-a-vis in the Pittsburgh game. So wait, they wait, needed, wait, wait, wait. They made their way down wait, wait, wait. the field. So yeah. they managed Gronk, but he still wasn't able to play 16 games last season, where Brandon Cooks is out there playing basically almost – Every yep. snap, uh, they say they never game. missed a practice. But who, uh, but who? Yes, exactly. No, and they loved him. Remember how how we all, everyone in Patriots Nation, at least you probably saw it in your feed, Kevin. You were here, hearing yeah. the cheers and screams every day in practice last year. Every day in training camp yep. was another Brandon Cooks lights up a practice Correct. defender. Yeah, he owned scorched it. it. He owned he owned training camp last year. No, I'm just saying that I think they managed Gronk, and also, oh, I agree 100. Yeah, they managed and, him. but also, which one of them? Runs a lot of fly patterns, right. sl- you know, few slants, a lot of posts and goes. And which one of them basically runs into oncoming traffic Correct. every play? Yeah, exactly. It's a different position, and you have to keep that in mind. But I, I get the point. You know, I mean, it's funny how somebody's numbers can Correct. be viewed from the glass glass half empty the, perspective. The other one, the general the narrative of Brady didn't want him here. Brady's cool with this deal. He was, you know, a disappointment. He was a waste of time. Right. He was a waste. That, that is hogwash. It's rubbish. Well, so it, the Cooks deal to me slams the door shut. Not that I bought it for a second at any point, but that there was ever any thought to trading Gronkowski. Now, there was a um, um, there was a was an ESPN story over the weekend that kind of brought the Gronk retirement story back around. I'm forgetting which reporter. You mentioned it earlier. Um Oh, uh, Jeff Darlington. Jeff there was Darlington. the Jeff Darlington piece yes. that said it was an ESP. He works for ESPN now, yes? Correct. Yes, the Jeff Darlington piece about how the Gronk is all but certain to come back for the 2018 season. As long as Patriots, Brady does. As long as Brady does, and that there still are a few uh, issues, if you will, that there's still some sorting out, that he's displeased with Belt. So now we've got – I'd like to almost hear what you say about this, Kev, um, that – Gronk is unhappy with the fact that he gets guff internally here because he wants to work out differently now. Belichick, of course, I think I, we can all safely say has had a couple of um, disagreements uh, with the Guerrero camp. Uh, and that, you know, it, it all kind of goes back to the, the Amendola 
the the Amendola farewell tweet where he says, "Was it like be free? Have was be it happy? Be free, be free, be, free, be, be happy? Yeah. Right? Yeah, with with capitalization. For they all happy, were capped, right? Yeah. I believe. Yeah." Yeah, I mean, you know, we're, we're down to that point now. We're parsing tweets for meaning every time. Well, what did this mean? Well, he didn't say this or he he capitalized this. That is like through which, the looking glass which for me, me. further illustrates the point for them to come out as a united front and, yeah. and say something to the media instead of just continuing to be silent and it's, let all this stuff snowball. It's exhausting to try to now discern meaning from all this. I mean, you literally... You literally now go from tweet to tweet uh, to try to figure out what's going on behind the green curtain. And that's right. very, very difficult and fraught with error, let's be honest. If, it's if a soap opera. If the green curtain, if behind the green curtain is as... I think my dad told me not to see that movie when I was no, a kid. Well, yeah, that's... But Mar if, it's, Maryland if it's as messy as, as social media and everyone's making it out to be... the green door. Then they should trade him because you can't go into this season being non-committed and you can't you can't have a fractured locker room going into training camp so it's either like you're all in and you're all in this together or you got to get rid of the pieces that are kind of detracting from that united front in my I, opinion i agree with you 100 percent. i can't even i can't even fathom handling the media the social media the conversational scrum the yeah. firestorm that would it would that would be moving a prime in his prime gronk but if they're and I'd, I'd even go a step further i'd include the quarterback in this wow. if they're if they're not in a, a united stance with the coach and you've got three different parties or two different parties with the quarterback in the coach and and or the quarterback and the tight end against the coach you can't have that you got to fix that that's it i've changed my mind they're trading Brady and Gronk. They're going to get Rosen and that tight end from Penn State. You're a Jets fan now? How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> you could say nothing more offensive uh, to me. I went right for the Jaguar. Remember, you can never spell Jets without Jest, which is what they play in. <laughs> He's here all week. Anyway, um, we probably should segue now uh, to our first guest of the day, which is Dan Orlovsky. Dan was with us. When we were in Minneapolis, remember that week, Nick? It was kind of chilly. We had a. Oh, uh, you think negative six is chilly? Almost. Not, My hand froze to a gas. What pump. was our network? Not done network. The not done network. That's right. We had a little set. It could be there. on. It could be on right now, and we could have. I'm telling you, days of our Gronk would get better ratings than three quarters of the other shows that are on as your the, local sports network. As the Brady turns, and <laughs> watch, and. Uh, <laughs> Dan was our guest uh, on the Cover 2 podcast in person when we did it televised, which was kind of weird. Which was kind of weird. I was like, didn't know whether to look at the camera or look at you. Um, but yeah, he was a great guest. Uh, he's really, he's trying to make it in the media business now, uh, now that his, I think his 11 or 12 year NFL career is over. UConn guy, you might remember, uh, renowned for running out of the back of the end zone with the Detroit Lions, a, um, a feat he still mm -hmm. laughs about and pokes fun at self-deprecatingly on his own Twitter account. That's right, at Dan Orlovsky7. If you enjoy geeking out with NFL draft and especially quarterback psyche, deep dives, etc., he's a really fun follow. We're going to talk to him a little bit, um, focus in on the Josh Rosen, Jim Mora saga. Welcome to the Cover 2 podcast with Banks and Stevens, a friend of the pod, Dan Orlovsky. Dan, we had you on Super Bowl week. Welcome back. Good to be back, Don. Thanks, bud. Thanks for your time this morning. We wanted to dive into a little bit of the um, 
I guess the saga involving Josh Rosen of UCLA and his head coach, his former head coach, Jim Mora, um, fired by the Bruins late in the season. I think I understand what Jim Mora was trying to say when he came out last week and, first of all, advised the Cleveland Browns that uh, Sam Darnold of USC, arch-rival USC, was the better fit for Cleveland than his guy, Josh Rosen. But the really the follow-up comments then that Mora, in trying to clarify his thoughts, were, took on a life of their own as well. And that is that Rosen needs to be intellectually challenged. He's a millennial. You have to hold his attention. I kind of saw it as a compliment that he was saying this kid is sharp. His mind goes in a lot of different directions. But a lot of people thought it was a criticism that you have to babysit this kid, that you have to hold his attention. Curious as to how you read Mora's comments about his own protege. Yeah, I didn't view them as, as a babysitting thing. I think the thing or like the, the word that kind of caught everyone's attention was the if. Like, if you can do that, he can be a really good player. Almost, you know, insinuating that he can't do it himself. And, you know, I, I, it sounds to me that Jim Mora might be a little bit um, upset or salty about how things ended at UCLA, you know, a lot of times when quarterbacks or coaches get their quarterback, you know, they get the big-time quarterback, they think, okay, I'm good. My team's going to be really good, and I'm going to be here for a long time because that's such an important position. And it didn't happen that way for UCLA and Jim Mora. So, you know, when I when I look at Josh Rosen and I watch his film and then you start to learn a little bit more about him, read more about him, and listen to him talk, Josh Rosen is renowned for being refined and incredibly efficient. You don't get that way unless you're all in at that position. You don't, I mean, in New England, Tom Brady is known for being refined and efficient. He doesn't get that way by not devoting an incredible amount of time of his life to doing the little things. And so I look at Josh Rosen going, yeah, I mean, I, I think he is all in. When, and when you talk about we're in an era right now, and I can use Tom Brady as another example, he's playing at the level that he's playing at, at the age he's playing at, not because of the physical, but because of the mental. And we're in an era at the quarterback position where the mental is king. Your brain is king. And so to sit there and go, well, you know, he's he's really got he's really smart. You've got to you know really keep his attention. Well, one, that's not going to be a problem in the NFL because it's actually easier to keep your attention in the NFL because there's so much more going on than just class and friends and this and that. You're a professional now. And two. Playing quarterback is all about your mind. And so for him to be incredibly bright should be seen as nothing but a positive. For him to want to ask why is nothing but a positive. For him to you know, need to be challenged, if you're an organization and you want to hire somebody to be the face of your billion-dollar company, you want someone who's really smart, who needs to be intellectually challenged, who needs to know why we're doing things the way we're doing, or somebody who's just like, okay, yeah, we can do it that way. You know, he's got all the traits that you look for. Former longtime NFL quarterback Dan Orlovsky uh, has his own podcast, the Backup Plan podcast, is our guest today on the cover, too. Dan, is this story, in some ways I think this story uh, gains so much momentum, in part because the template, right or wrong, the narrative that had built up around Ros Rosen was that they weren't sure he loved football, whatever that means. Um, I always find that a curious charge because you have to put, make a pretty big commitment to play Division One quarterback for any uh, winning program. And here that label grew up around Rosen. 
I think this all fit into that narrative kind of neatly. Otherwise, we might be looking at the, I guess, the intelligence part of what Mora was trying to say as the positive, kind of like, you know, the way Peyton Manning was never, um, never satisfied and always learning and always trying to keep expanding his, his uh, width and breadth of knowledge. Yeah, I think that, that that when you look at Rosen and you and you kind of see what his strengths are or his weaknesses are, the mind stands out to you. And so when you think about the quarterbacks in the NFL that you know historically or over the last twenty years, ten years, five years, right now, present day, have played consistently well in the NFL, you don't sit there and go, "Wow, this guy was he just had such an incredible arm," or he was so fast, or you, it always goes back to the mind. You know, Russell Wilson, one of the best guys in the NFL, quotes, the separation is in the preparation. And so it's not, the preparation isn't for him, you know, running with a parachute on his back. It's the, how he goes about preparing with his mind. Peyton was the same way. And so I can, I can see, you know, Jim Moore should be smart enough to understand how his comments were going to be taken. He should be smart enough to make himself clear. And listen, this is the, this is the, the message I'm trying to get across of how bright this kid is and how special his mind is when it comes to playing this position. Not to just go off the cuff. That was my thing with it. Is like you People are going to interpret it different ways, and we don't know and when everyone's going to be right or going to be wrong. But I do know this. Jim Moore should be smart enough to make sure that he's going into, you know, go to do interviews about this kid who, one, decided to go to play school for you. Two, got his brains beat in playing for you. I mean, he got beat up. And so you should make sure you make yourself very clear the message you're trying to get across for this kid who put it all out there for you consistently and that you also put three offensive coordinators in front of him in three years. So I think Moore needed to do a better job of handling the message he was trying to get across, the strength that Josh Rosen displays. Yeah, the poor kid wasn't even able to play in a bowl game because he was still suffering from post-concussion symptoms. So obviously he was... He was all in and then some on the field. I can't even imagine why this would be seen as a criticism. Uh, in the complex evolving game of the NFL, you need somebody who's going to be heady and who's going to see the game and play the game out in his mind even before he takes the first snap. Great movie directors always said that the movie was shot and storyboarded before they even lensed frame one. So, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm in on Rosen. Now, to me, this makes him the most attractive prospect. But, Dan, do you think this actually could hurt his draft stock? Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, because each team goes about it a different way. And each team, you know, slots the importance of the position a different way and, and the traits that they're looking for. And, and they value this person's opinion or what this person says. And, and you could be swayed. And so there's, I'm not saying that it's going to be across the board, but I promise you there's going to be a team that holds on to these comments that, that you know, has Josh Rosen at A and might move him to B or C or one, two or three, however they do it, you know? And so, that's just that's the nature of the NFL. It's the nature of you know the telephone game where you hear something and it continues to grow and now it's kind of taken a life of its own and it's the nature of how people can kind of be affected by outside voices and so you know if you if you, especially if you were a team that was on the fence if you were a team that was a well we we like them but what about this stuff that people are talking about you know and now another thing comes out do you value Jim Moore's opinion do you have a personal relationship with the Moore family. And now you're going to go, okay, well, listen, he said this, so I'm going to tell you. So I do think that there's, there's a 100% chance that some teams are going to affect 
where they have Josh Rosen because of it. Okay, so where do you see him as a best fit heading into the draft a couple weeks out? Yeah, I mean, I still like Sam Darnold the best. I think Sam Darnold's traits are uncoachable. You know, you can't you can't coach those in the kids. But I do think that him and Josh Rosen are head and shoulders above everybody else. And I think that Josh Rosen has a lot of the things you're looking for to go be a really good starter in the NFL. So, you know, he reminds, reminds me so much of Matt Ryan. So, you know, fit-wise, I, I still think that New York Giants at number two are the no-brainer for me because of having the opportunity to not guarantee yourself success at the position for the long term, but you're put, a, put in a pretty good position. You get to take a young kid who understands big markets and put him back in another big market. Uh, you take a, a uh, guy who can go learn from Eli Manning, who is the best ever in the New York market of handling everything, maybe besides Derek Jeter, and uh, the guy Odell Beckham, who if you do want in your organization moving forward, you better have somebody to throw him the football. And if you want to sign into a contract extension, do you think it's going to be easier to go to him and go, hey, we just took an offensive lineman or a defensive end? Why don't, why don't you re-sign with us? Or, hey, we just have a really young, good quarterback that's super promising that we can get you the ball a bunch over the next eight years. And Dan, so, I know you got to go, but think, if I'm hearing you right, then you're saying Josh Rosen is playing for one of the New York teams, either the Giants at two if they don't trade out or take someone else or the clearly the Jets at three. Yeah, I, 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 it, it would be hard for, for me to sit back and listen to one of those teams tell me why they didn't. Because what else do you need to see from him on film? What else do you need to see from him? And then when you're looking at the traits that require you to be good at that position in the NFL, he checks so many of the boxes. And so that's the the draft is a projection, but the NFL is production. And the only way you can produce is if you have the potential to. And he's got all the potential to produce. And if we look at the best quarterbacks in the NFL right now, the top 10, it kind of looks like an EKG grim. You know, it, it, there's different sizes and shapes to everybody. But maybe besides one of them, there's one underlying factor that they all share their minds. Their minds and their ability to have a plan and process are different. And so when that guy has that, it's silly not to take him because it's such an important position with two of those organizations that, you know, one, lending itself to being needy of it in the next year or two with the Giants, and one is in desperate need to get it right. In the last 15 seconds, then, if you get if you have Darnold and then Allen, give me the three, four, and five, how you think they'll come off the board, not how you have them rated in terms of Josh Allen, Baker Mayfield, and Lamar Jackson. Yeah, so I have Darnold and Rosen, one, two, and I think it's a, a, a far, far gap between three, four, five. I think three will probably be, be Baker Mayfield, and I think he should be. I think four will probably be Josh Allen, which I think is a reach. And I think the fifth guy will be Lamar Jackson, where, you know, I, I'm so on the fence with him. I lean back and forth. Is it worth it? Is it not worth it? Because of the dynamic ability that he does has, have, but you set yourself up to be in a very unique situation if you do it. So I think that's how they'll fall. Dan Orlovsky with us on the Cover 2 podcast today, the Backup Plan podcast, former Lions indie Tampa Bay, Houston Rams quarterback. Thanks, Dan, once again for being a guest on the Cover 2 with Banks and Stevens. Thanks for having me, guys. All the best. Isn't it the story of the 2018 NFL draft that everyone has these quarterbacks in slightly a different order? It is. That's what we're going to remember the 2018 NFL draft for, at least leading up to it. We'll see how that script flips after the draft, but I'm having the most fun 
following a bunch of different wonks, film studies, former quarterbacks like Dan, who's a great guest. Can't thank him enough again. At Dan Orlovsky7. You guys should give him a follow online. He's great. Uh, I like his order. His order makes the most sense to me. I, I, think, I uh, like his order. I think he's underrating Josh Allen in the eyes of the NFL. Not me talking. Josh I'm, Allen's the new Carson Wentz. I'm, I'm saying Josh Allen, I believe, is going to go in the top three. I do. Wow. And that's based on, what, his potential, arm strength, size, or combination I, therein? Yeah, all, all of the above. I think people are not grading him down for the accuracy issues as much as they would for a quarterback in a in a larger school situation. I think they think he truly played in bad conditions with horrible receivers mm -hmm. with not much of a team around him. I mean, some teams, I'm sure, are saying, I'm not touching him because of the accuracy issues. Those never get better. But that's Wentz. This is, this is almost like word for word the breakdown on Carson Wentz. Yeah, I guess you could say that worked out. Carson Wentz to the Eagles, uh, he did pretty well. Uh, look, I, I don't know enough about quarterbacking to pretend I know how they differenti differentiate these guys, but I know at the annual meeting when I was talking to people, people think Josh Allen has a rare blend of skill set, and they, they believe he's going to go very high. I don't think it's going to take long for his name to come off the board. So to hear Dan say... He's my fourth quarterback, and I think he'd be a reach, you know, if he goes as high uh, as people say. Um, I, I think there's a lot of difference of opinion on him, but he's that's the only part of what Dan said that I'm like, hmm. I, I don't know if he has his finger on the pulse there in terms of how the NFL sees the kid. And part of me now is starting to wonder as high on him as I was, at least for a college quarterback, in thinking, well, the college, you know, certain skills in bigger programs don't necessarily translate, and maybe you need these Josh Allen intangibles. Mayfield could be the new Manziel, and Manziel was sort of the new Brady Quinn in a lot of ways. Right. Just, and, of course, they all went to Cleveland. I don't see Baker Mayfield going to Cleveland unless they want to do third times the charm or three strikes and you're out. No, I, I think they want to – I think John Dorsey wants a bigger a bigger quarterback to deal with the elements. And didn't, uh, didn't Johnny Manziel say he was critical of the Browns because – they should have realized yeah. that he wasn't all in. They should have realized was he was lying when he was pretending to be more committed about the game of football. And Josh Rosen loves to be engaged and committed. So, again, right. I think that's another check mark in the positive column for him. Right. But uh, keep this in mind. People think Josh Allen to Cleveland at number one is not out of question. Jaw meet floor. Yeah, I'm telling you. Remember I said that. All right. Obviously, last week's huge story coming out of the NFL annual, annual meeting, one we talked plenty about last week was the NFL's new helmet hit rule, which, frankly, came somewhat out of nowhere as a rule proposal as opposed to a point of emphasis for officiating. So I thought it would be great to be joined uh, again this week on the Cover 2 podcast by a previous guest, Jim Deopolis, who is a current rules analyst for ESPN and Monday Night Football and an 11-year NFL ref himself and a 12-year NFL super director of supervisor of officials. Jim, welcome back to the podcast with Don Banks and Nick Stevens. How are you this morning? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? I know it's a little cool up there in Boston, huh? It is. I'm going to. I'm trying to go to the Sox <laughs> home opener tomorrow, and I'm going to freeze my butt off. Oh. But um. <laughs> Jim, let's let's dive right in. I'm sure you've covered this ground a lot in the past week. First of all, I just want your element of surprise that the league did what they did and had this go from a point of emphasis that was, yeah, it was somewhere on the agenda, to a passed, unanimously, rule proposal 
Tuesday afternoon. Uh, I've covered a lot of meetings. I don't ever remember quite a hastily arranged uh, new rule of significance. I wonder if you've ever been a part of a process that went moved that quickly. You know, it, it surprised me tremendously also that it went right to a uh, – it, it didn't become just a point of emphasis that they made it a rule. And it, it's one of those rules that, as an official, I am just absolutely – uh, concerned how philosophically you're going to handle this without changing the dynamics of the game of football. You know, this is changing the game so much from what we are accustomed to. And I understand what the NFL is doing. I, I understand it, and I, I, I tell, you know, I say, great, you know, great job for the protection of these players, but at some point, you still have to play football. And at some point, either take off, take the helmets off, but don't say, hey, we can't hit with a helmet. So I, I think it's going to be a very difficult uh, fundamental for the officials to officiate. So it's going to be interesting to see how this how this transpires once it comes out of the, uh, the rules committee and once it's presented to the officials uh, in May. And clearly so many unknowns, so many blanks left to be filled in on that front, and that's, that's what makes this so unique. They kind of passed the rule, and now they're going to add – flesh to the body as they go in the next three months. You know, someone made an interesting point that I heard the other day that five years ago, Jim, you'll remember in 2013, great, great outcry when the crown of the helmet rule can't hit with the running backs or ball carrier can't hit with the crown of the helmet went in. Um, But one little caveat to that rule was they said it did not apply within the tackle box. Why? Because they knew that that type of contact was so common. Interestingly, this rule is not going to have that sort of caveat. It's going to apply, theoretically, anywhere on the field involving any players. And that's the part a lot of people can't wrap their brain about around because, let's be honest, at the line of scrimmage on the line, there is helmet contact virtually on every play. In reality, do you believe they can really call this play inside the tackle box or this penalty inside the tackle box? Honestly, I think they're going to have to reevaluate that whole aspect of the rule, uh, you know, action between the tackles. You know, you know, being an, an umpire, I watch offensive linemen and defensive linemen uh, block and handle themselves within the interior line, and all that action is helmet to helmet, banging their heads all the time. Is that going to mean... We're going to the officials are going to be throwing flags, and we are going to be ejecting players. Uh, a running back coming up the middle when he puts his head down, yeah, are we going to eject him? Uh, that's where I think I, I just not sure what the league has done yet, and I'm not sure. You know, I'm sure they've thought it through, but it certainly it doesn't seem like it makes a lot of sense right now. Uh, that aspect of it, uh, I, I understand. You know, protect these players, protect these defenseless players. But when uh, players are just playing football and there's contact with a helmet, I don't understand how you're going to be able to, you know, penalize them and ejection. And that's the other part is the ejection part of that. I don't know if they are they going to use replay. They haven't decided if they're going to use replay for for the ejection. So is this just going to be an arbitrary call by the officials on the field? Uh, I guess we just have to wait and see what happens. Well, the league kind of came out, Goodell came out and basically said that they believe this is going to have to be replay supported because when you add the injection, that's such a harsh penalty. 
they're going to have to make sure they got it right via replay. So I think we're I think that's a given. The bigger question is, are they going to look for this everywhere or just out in space? And is it going to be just once in a while so that the players have it in their brain enough when they're when they're thinking of dropping their helmet, or is it going to be so common um, that that they're trying to drive? that contact completely out of the game overnight. That's the, that's the difficulty that no one seems to know how to grapple with. Well, I, I feel that if they're going to make this a rule and they're going to implement this rule with an ejection, penalty, etc., they've got to be consistent. They've got to be consistent throughout the game and all over the field. Because, again, this isn't a, you know, this isn't a holding call away from the play. This is a safety issue. So they have to address this. Uh, you know, during the game, they'll have to address it at all points, whether it's at the point of attack or whether it's away from the, uh, uh, the, the basic where the play is at. So I think they have to be consistent with it. I don't think they could just say arbitrarily, we're going to call it in here and we're not going to call it in here and we'll call it on stuff. They've got to, if they've said to the rule, if the rule says contact with a helmet is a penalty, then they're going to have to be consistent with their calls. So, Jim, it sounds like you're in favor of the rule in theory, but you think in practicality and execution it's going to be far more difficult for the league to either figure out exactly what is a crown of the helmet call, uh, what's the penalty, and what's not. Um, How would you, if you're officiating a game, if you're on the field and there's two players in space, what to you would be a clearest indication that it merits the 15-yard penalty? If, if one of the players drops his head and hits with the crown of the helmet, you know, into you know into the body of the other fish, other player, and, and I think the players are aware of that. I think the players they there's very few crown helmets, and so I, I you know I understand what they're doing, and it's very wise. I understand it. I just think they're making it so difficult that it's going to be a, a really tough call. And I like the fact that they're going to get replay involved in it. I have been an advocate for the last, oh gosh, number of years that any uh, that they should be using replay for illegal hits on defenseless players uh, rather than some of the uh, use, some of the uses of replay. So um, again, I think I think the, the thought process is there. I think they're on the right track. I just think they have to uh, think it through a little bit better on how they're going to handle this and what they're going to do with it. Last topic, Jim. Having kind of removed removed some of the ambiguity, or at least attempted to remove some of the ambiguity of the catch rule, they jump right back in with both feet uh, into a very ambiguous uh, situation, ambiguous situation with with the helmet hit rule. Where are you happy with where we ended up? on the catch rule, or do you believe, as some, and I think even Mike Pereira perhaps has pointed out, um, we're still going to have that um, a little bit of that confusion on the football move and the time element and how that's going to be um, called in real in real time? Uh, I'm of the opinion that I thought the, I thought the catch rule was, was, was perfect the way it was. I, I think the biggest problem that they... Uh, they implemented was letting replay get involved in uh, in the catch rule. I say, feeling my feeling is eliminate replay from the catch rule. Let the officials make the call on the field. Are they going to miss some? Absolutely, they'll miss some. But are they going to miss some in replay also? Yes. 
you know, once you get into replay, now you start micromanaging that, and you've got individuals that are trying to make decisions that, you know, that tonight used to be in on the field. They, they haven't been up on the field making that, you know, on the field making that call. Why don't you just let the officials on the field make the call? They, you know, it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me that we want to look and try to take away catches from players by saying, I, you know, I see a little bit of movement on the ball. The laces are moving. Come on, guys. The game's not perfect. Let's take replay out of the catch rule and it'll make it a whole lot easier. Let the officials make the call on the field. And if they miss it, you know what? We're going to miss a few. But, uh, gosh, I think it's going to really it would make the game a whole lot better. So the, are, is the new rule, are we worse off with the new rule in your estimation? I think we are. I, I think we're. I think we're trying to uh, overanalyze the catch. We, we, you know, trying to put. You know, he's got to have control of the ball. He's got to have feet down, football move. You know, as an official, you want to be able to look at the play and let your eyes tell you what's going on. Make your decision by what you see and what your gut tells you. Quit trying to overanalyze the catch and uh, put all these different aspects of it. What is the catch? You know, we used to say up in the league office. If 50 drunks in the bar felt it was a catch, it probably should be a catch. And that's probably what we do. We try to, we try to put too much into this and make it too difficult to officiate. I think a lot of us fans out here actually feel that same way too, though a lot of catches that were ruled catches and catches that weren't ruled catches uh, may very well get overturned if we go without replay, which uh, I, I guess you're saying put the power in the hands of the guys that are on the field calling the game. Uh, last question, Jim. That's what you, yeah, go ahead, please. Yeah, that, that's what I said. I mean, that's what these guys get paid to do. Right. That's what they've been doing their whole lives is making those calls. Let them make the calls. Don't try to, you know, don't try to second-guess the officials on the field. And that's what they're doing with replay. They're second-guessing the officials rather than trying to correct correctable errors. Gotcha. Uh, last, last, just a ten-second response. Is there anything else you would actually like to see implemented that wasn't addressed or uh, that has been discussed, but maybe hasn't been implemented in terms of officiating the game? No, I really like the fact that they they're not going to mess around with pass interference. I think I think pass interference is always going to have to be a spot foul because this is a whole lot different game than the college game. These defensive backs are too good, and you can't just give them fifteen-yard penalties. Uh, we'll probably see an end of uh, end of the long pass, but I think they've done a good job. And, and the safety thing is the, the number one issue right now. Jim, I thought of one more thing. Do you believe, okay. with the helmet hit rule, that the league has any idea what they just bit off and whether they're going to be able to chew it? I think they're realizing it. The more they talk to coaches, the more they talk to uh, players, they're going to see that they're that they have an issue, and I think it's going to be. Uh, something that they have to address over the next couple of months before the season starts. Just like they're, you know, the, the one other thing I, I hate to kind of keep going, but, you know, they keep talking about the uh, uh, eliminate the kickoff. And I, I, I'm pretty sure, guys, you're going to see that uh, probably in the next couple of seasons, an elimination of the kickoff at, uh, in pro football. It looks that way, doesn't it? I mean, that's where it's headed. Yeah. And it, unless the, the injury statistics take a, a somewhat unexpected turn for the better, I think we're going to look back someday and say, remember when they used to kick the ball off to start yeah. a football game and again at halftime after and after every score? That, that's going to be an interesting one to discuss once that happens. 
Right. All right. Well, I have a feeling, Jim, we're going to be talking about the helmet rule, helmet hit rule a lot in 2018. So who knows? We might have you back once the games start and we see if it works in reality and practicality. Jim Deopolis, uh, rules analyst for ESPN and Monday Night Football and a former NFL official as well as supervisor of officials. Thanks for being our guest once again, Jim, on the Cover 2 podcast with Banks and Stevens. Great being with you guys anytime. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Jim. And, of course, uh, if you would like to get Jim's thoughts and insight on the game in the offseason and especially in the scrum, you can follow him on Twitter at Referee Jim D. I liked his, uh, I liked his take. Of, I kind of liked his take the replay out of the catch roll. Yeah, Not that I, 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 I think I, it belongs there. but wow. I don't happen to think in reality that replay will ever go backwards. However, we tried that, and then we added it back, and now I think with technology being so good. I understand where he's coming from, though. Mm-hmm. They're going to blow some. But we get out of that frame-by-frame analysis, over-analysis, with, with taking replay out of Speed the up the game, keep the energy in the game, too. And I feel like he thinks they're trained, they're out there to do their job, and this kind of, uh, for lack of a better word, emasculates them? Well, here's the problem, though. TV's going to show the replays in super slow-mo, same as always. Right. They're going to do it. So the refs aren't going to see it. There's going to be firestorm after firestorm because inevitably there will be calls missed. And then the league's going to be putting out fires, and that's why they're never going to take the replay out of it because they're going to say that's why replay was put in. Agreed. But, but replay was overdone and used suddenly to correct every bit of minutia that happened during the play. So I get where he's coming from. I just don't think in reality it's 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 realistic. Um, okay, that's a wrap for the Cover 2 podcast. I Solid pod this week. Yeah, two good guests, Dan Orlovsky and Jim Deopolis. A lot of ground covered. Obviously, we had uh, the big trade dropped on us last night as well. And now what? We're uh, three weeks and one day away from the 2018 NFL Draft. And I'll say it again. I think it's going to be a fascinating first night, at least, uh, in in Jerry World at Arlington, and I uh, just booked my uh, booked my passage for that. I will be in Dallas covering that for Patriots.com. Oh, I really wish I was going this year. It's such a good time. If you've never been to an NFL draft before, and now especially in a sports fan paradise like Arlington, Texas at Jerry World, it yeah. may lack the intimacy of Radio City or the way they did it in Philadelphia last year, but it'll be a spectacle. Jerry's- oh, and then they'll actually get to the draft. Jerry- Jerry's going to have the world's largest green room, I promise you. I promise you. All right, for Nick Stevens, get better, Nick. Uh, Kevin Collins, our producer, and uh, really third voice of reason in the podcast. I like uh, it. I'm Don Banks. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you again next week. Thank you for downloading the Cover 2 podcast from Patriots.com. Second and goal to go from the two. Toss sweep right for James White. Cuts it up to the right arm. Cuts it upfield. Driving forward. Diving to the goal line. It's still a touchdown. And a title for the Patriots. I can't believe it. They have completed the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history. Log on to Patriots.com anytime for more news and more podcasts covering your favorite team and all things NFL.